So I don't know if everyone can hear me. This is my first time really being on stage on this app. Um, I just put up a tweet in at the top of my feed. If uh, you know, if you're so inclined, you want to share the conversation. I'd love it if you could uh, retweet it. If you can hear me, for that matter. <laughs> yes. Oh, you're there. <laughs> hey, it's me. Yes. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's Fantastic. Lee Smith. Welcome, welcome to the improbably named Lee Smith Show. And uh, that was my special great guest and friend, Jan Jekielek. Uh And uh, I'm, Jan and I are going to be speaking for about uh, oh, a little while here, probably about an hour. And we're going to cover a whole bunch of different topics. So Jan, uh, welcome. And as you said, yeah, it's, it's interesting and different to have you on this end where you're going to be, where, where, where I'm going to be asking questions and you'll, uh, you'll be answering them, I hope. Well, yeah, I think I think it'll be a lot of fun. I certainly had I've had you on the opposite end enough times now that, that you get to what we say in Polish, have your revenge. <laughs> no, no, no revenge. This will be a, a fun conversation. But since we're talking about Poland, um, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you for a little bit of a, a little bit of background on your life and before you came to. American thought leaders. And I want to say, I mean, one of the remarkable things about American thought leaders, well, I, I, you've been doing it now for three, three years. Is that right? Or longer? When yeah, did you start? Just over three years, just over three yeah. years. I think we started in, yeah, early 2019. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I think you were part of the move. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, movement along with, you know, along with uh, big podcasters like Joe Rogan and stuff. But you were you were really one of the first people, and you you have people on 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 video. You're really one of the first people uh, who's gone for stuff like um, the extended long conversations. You moved away from the you know do news and reporting. You moved away from you know from short three and a half minute hits that we see generally on TV, whether it's Fox or CNN, and 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 you sat down and and. And you continue to sit down and speak with people for a long period of time. So, yeah, let, let, let's bring it up. Let's bring it up to there. It starts, as you said, in uh, in Poland, because, you know, the topic, the topic of today's show is are we headed to communism? I thought that you uh, with d deep knowledge about this subject, about both Poland and your coverage of the Chinese Communist Party and your coverage of events in the United States right now, I just thought that you would you are the ideal person to speak with about this. So if you can give us some, some background to your, um, to your story. Well, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> you know, so my parents, they actually uh, left Poland uh, or circa 1970. They basically, they had to escape uh, from Poland. So my mother, um, to give you a, a little bit of background, my, my, I'm, my, pa my parents are both Polish and Poland was, uh, in Poles' minds, was occupied by Russia or the Soviet Union. For Poles, it didn't really, they didn't really see it all that differently, but it was under a mm -hmm. communist system. And, you know, after the Iron Curtain came down, basically, uh, you know, society had to kind of conform to, to the Soviet way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And uh, my family, both my families were not the types of families that either the Nazis or the Soviets liked very much because they, they didn't, they didn't like authoritarians. Hmm. They didn't like it. Yeah. And so we, we, we lost a lot of people in both families. Huh. Um, and, but of course people make do and figure out. What, what, what do you mean? You, right? What do you mean you lost a lot of people? Well, like, like, you know, my, one of my uh, great uncles was just, you know, caught with, you know, uh, weapons cache and was executed hmm. by the Nazis, wow. right? And that's actually a kind of wow. an interesting story in itself because hmm. um, he is, he, we have had cousins that were German and there was a, there was a cousin in the German army who hmm. came and said, his cousin came and said, Hey, listen, all you have to do is renounce being Polish and you, you can, you can leave this jail with me right now. And he wow. said, no, I, sorry, I can't do that. And they, they executed him. Right. So this this is the kind wow. of stuff that happened. And, the the borders you know kept shifting in in that area and there are families that overlapped you know i had uh you know family that that came from france i had family that was in what was russia before the war um hmm. and anyway they were always involved in the rebellions against russia and huh. and and so on and so forth so by the time my mother was you know 
basically she was, she was actually working in this ministry of agriculture and she got to this level mm. where she couldn't um, basically she got the offer that you can't uh-huh. refuse. And the offer you can't refuse is um, joining the communist party. Can you hear me? Okay. I, I just, there's a, yes. There's yeah. A you've got siren in the background. You're, yeah. You're um, in the middle of a fantastic, uh, one of America's great cities we know, and we're, <laughs> we're hearing, we're hearing uh, evidence of that in the background. But we can yes, hear you. Although it's right. getting la- it's, although it's getting louder, it seems to be approaching you. Yeah. Are you okay. Is everything all right? Well, I'm I'm just I'm just on the corner of Eighth and Thirty Fourth, so you know where hmm. the where the very close to where the Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street uh, uh, Macy's is here in New York City. Yes. So you can get a picture. Yeah. It's very it's a very dense part of the city, but right. and there's a lot of activity. But anyway, so <laughs> yeah. to, get, to make a long to make a long story short. Uh-huh. Um, my mother, she got, basically, she got to a level in working for this, you know, government agency that she had to join the Communist Party. And, but she couldn't, in all due conscience, do that because of what the communists had done to our families. And, huh. um, and so she refused. And at that point, wow. she lost all her privileges. Um, what what year passports. was this? Around when was that? This is, this is around 1970, 1969, something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Poland didn't have communism like China or Russia. Mm-hmm. They had a kind of, you could think of it like a lighter version. It was imposed. And, and the, the powers that be were very aware that, that, you know, if they tried to push it too hard, they'd have rebellion and it would be really nasty. Mm-hmm. And, and also, uh, you know, so even the Poles themselves, the communist Poles themselves like to stick it to the Russians because they didn't like the Russians very much. Uh, so, wait, so th- it was this kind is kind of an unusual situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, this is interesting. How do they know, you know what I mean? Like how, how do they, how do they gauge how much, how much pressure they can put on people before they think it will break? Cause I mean, this is something we'll return to later when we talk about uh, the Chinese communist party and especially Shanghai, but how do they gauge how much pressure that they can put on a population before it will break? Well, so Poland was very known to the Russians, right? Because hmm. prior to world war one, uh, Poland had been partitioned for about 120 years between mm-hmm. Germany, Russia, and the Austro- Austro-Hungarian Empire. And so, in Austria-Hungary, that part of the uh, that part of Poland was actually the free part. They were basically like, "Give us the money, give us the taxes, and we'll leave you alone. Do your thing." So that's kind of where Polish culture really um, sort of wasn't persecuted. But in the other two places, in Prussia and in Russia there was active suppression of the language of the culture, you know, everything. So, so, so Stalin at this time, he was acutely aware of how resilient and resistant Poles were, how many rebellions there had been and how little liking there was. So, you know, it's a curiosity, you know, the Polish national anthem even has this line, uh, 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 Poland is as long as we're still alive, Poland uh, will live, you know, like stuff like this, which is, you know, very uh, freedom you, and stop. Can you say it in Polish? Stop. Poland has not, is not lost as long as we're alive. Right. Mm. And so I, 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 you, you would think Stalin would get rid of, you know, a national anthem that has a line like that, but he, I guess he yeah. liked it and he left yeah. it. So it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. There's, there's a Poland, had, Poland just played this interesting role and it was always known to be, uh, you know, basically, the, it was the first place that was always attacked. It was this big plane that, that all the armies would roll through, but it was never pleasant for those armies when they did it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so um, my mother had to escape, yeah. basically. And so she, they got one of these. Uh, so, you know, in Pol- in communist societies, every office you're working in, there's there's the person that's in charge. And then there's the real person that's in charge, which is the political officer. Who pretends to 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 you know just be someone working there, but really everyone defers to them. And so this guy in my mother's office had a weakness for this particular ninety proof, or sorry, one hundred eighty <laughs> proof alcohol that my uh, that my aunt great aunt would make. And she they got him uh, drunk, and he got got him to sign some papers. And my mother got her passport back, and she got away. Um, wow! <laughs> and, wow! And then I had... didn't know. They weren't married yet, right? Um, uh-huh. And then, so she basically invited my father out to France. They were kind of, you know, basically like cleaning, hmm. you know, being, she was being like a maid, you know, um, hmm. and and she invited him out and they got married in Paris. Yeah. So it was wow. kind of interesting. 
How did your father get out? Well, you could get out, right? If they, if you, if they mm-hmm. didn't believe that you had some reason that you were going to stay out, like they might know that you have a history of some, you know, of, of, you know, being against the government, but you yourself haven't really done much. And, you know, so generally they would let people out where they felt there was enough of a pull to keep them back, going back, right. especially if they were, you know, sort of for education, for reasons of education or something like that, they, that you, you could, that could happen. Right. So, um, so that's how he got invited out basically. And then they, but then they just never went back. Yeah. You said something really moving to me, which is stuck in my head. I mean, you said it a couple months ago, and my, you know, so it's not that my memory is so great. But what you said was so moving. You said that your parents were both people who recognized they were living under a regime. Can can you explain oh. that somewhat? <laughs> well, so this is actually a very this is this is just something that really kind of dawned on me um, recently. And it's funny, you know, you you get to be in your late forties before you figure stuff like this out. But I mean, and I hope my parents don't, don't aren't unhappy with me because, well, so I'll, hmm. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a little bit of another anecdote. One of the crazy things growing up in Toronto, Canada and Canadian uh, as a kid was that in my family, there was a rule. There's no speaking about uh, what happens in the family outside of the family. So if your mom is being huh. tough on you or just unreasonable or insane, if you think huh. as a kid, right? You really can't talk about that with anybody. That would be treason. That would be family treason, huh. right? Why and is, so, is that if, something that started when they were starting in Poland? You know well, what I mean? So exactly, you wouldn't talk so, about the. Fa- ah, okay. Wow. It only dawned on me again some years later after I was interviewing Chinese dissidents. You know, some of the religious dissidents like Falun Gong practitioners and so forth. Um, it dawned on me that the reason is that the kid will say something in public, and next thing you know, there's a truck showing up in the middle of the night and pulling mommy or daddy out of bed and into the night to Siberia and you're gone. That's it. Wow. Game over. Right. right? So, so every family that had, uh, uh, you know, wits about it, had this kind of rule in Poland, it was normal, but in, of course, in a Western society, a free society, that's crazy. Like what you, 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 you would, you would, you know, pent all your anger would, you would, you know, and I was very, it was extremely independent kid. My mother was like the Uh. most overprotective mother you could imagine. And a lot of people (laughs) attest to this. Even the people who have overprotective <laughs> mothers attest to this, right? So it was, it was a tough relationship, right? As much as I loved yeah. her, right? For the record, if she ever listens to this, I want I want her to yeah. hear that. To, to she'll hear that, she'll, but, she'll yeah. listen. Um, yeah. But but <laughs> but anyway, my so, so what what is my point here? My point is that my parents also had a kind of a tough relationship, right? Hmm. And as a kid, I wondered, you know, what is it that brought these people together? Because they really think huh. about the world so fundamentally differently in so many ways. It's really huh. odd, right? And only just last year, when I shared this with you a few months ago or this year, um, it just dawned on me that that as when there is a regime and you have that need for freedom. And you know it in your mm. bones because you sense it, right? You sense when that freedom is taken mm. away, you realize, wow, freedom is being taken away. There's, But that's not everybody in society, you see. Some people right. aren't attuned to that or maybe don't care about it as much for whatever reason. But for both of them, right, it's a, it's obvious that that's extremely important huh. to them. And it just dawned on me, like in that society, in an unfree wow. society, this is the most powerful binding force. It doesn't matter what the other stuff is, right? Why? Because the regime right. seeks to crush all those people. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, so suddenly right. Suddenly, if you're, this is like the, the the best, the best sort of you know connection you can have with someone is to be on this on this side of things, so to speak, yeah. right? And so that, and that's the irony that that. So this is one of the signals that that we're experiencing some sort of shift into more authoritarianism, right? Which is that you know my parents who you know, were divorced when I was 16, didn't, you know, really like each other very much for a long time today are, you know, communicate fairly often and see incredibly eye to eye and all sorts of things. And they both agree that uh, this system is very much in our country right now, you know, and so that, okay. that and in fact, are you, ta- are you talked to? Uh, yeah. No, I was going to say, are you talking about Canada or the United States or, or both? Because you I'm grew up in Canada. About Canada, because that's where they're, yeah. but that's where they both are, or right. usually. Um, but, 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 but I think they would apply it equally. You know, I, I, I think they would, they probably would say the same. Thing. But this is the curious thing. Huh. See, 
all the people that I know, older people that have left that left Poland for reasons of freedom or to basically um, uh, uh, seek liberty or seek freedom for their family or something, right? I mean, my mother was basically said, I'm not having kids in this under this system. That's my, I, I'm drawing the line. I have to be in a, a free place, right? Like it was once here. And yeah. so, you know, people have their own motivations, but but all the people that left for some kind of reason like that, they all have that feeling that I, anyone I've ever talked to. And there's other people like uh, Rod Dreher, for example, who has similarly talked to people and they say similar things, right? Um, but on the other hand, there's people that left for reasons of economic, uh, you know, uncertainty and things like that. And they don't necessarily have that perce perception. So that's what I find so fascinating that for some people, this, this, this freedom thing is incredibly important and in fact, huh. defining. And for others, they may not even notice that it's that it's disappearing. And it's just so fascinating to me. It is fascinating. I had I this was one of the surprises. I, I mean, I, I think lots of people shared this, uh, this perception that during, you know, during the advent of COVID, when there were all these different lockdowns, I mean, I think it was very surprising for most people to recognize that a lot of Americans were willing to, you know, give up their freedoms for for what they perceived to be security. And it sort of showed that, you know, we, we there is, I believe that America is an exceptional country. But I think the idea that we pushed or the idea that we subscribed to during the Cold War, there was something homo Americanus that all Americans by definition would fight, uh, would fight to the very death for every freedom. And we're a stubborn people and we wouldn't allow anyone to tell us anything. I, 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 I think we're surprised to find out that that wasn't necessarily the case, that actually we're before we're Americans, we're human beings and some human beings cherish uh, liberty over security and some don't and so and i i guess now i want to ask the, ask you a question but i guess i'm supposed to be doing answering the question no no I'm just so no used I, to asking I, I, questions I, I, no it's great no i know it's here i know it's your nature to ask questions me too this is why this will be fun and we'll just keep asking questions and there will there will be no answers but yes no please go ahead but why, you know, do, do you have any insight into, you know, for me, it's unimaginable that someone would not care about this because it's, it's just, it, I immediately feel like there's something wrong when I feel those freedoms being encroached, encroached on. And I, and I just, it's amazing to me that there might be people out there that, that, that don't notice. Right. Yeah. Now, of course I realize it's real and, and, but it's, it, it just strikes me as such a fundamental part of what it is to be human. I, I think that what they had to do was first, I mean, you know, I, I think, and this is probably not just the United States, but anywhere, but I think what they probably, well, certainly what they did first was they, they terrorized us, right? I mean, there was a, a, a very impressive media campaign, a uh, very impressive media campaign that included public health officials. Uh, they steamrolled President Donald Trump you know, who was, uh, who, who was against it, but then he was, you know, the decision was steamrolled. And then at that point, you know, the floodgates were open and it wasn't just, uh, it wasn't, uh, the, when I'm talking about floodgates, it wasn't just about COVID lockdowns. I'm talking about that's when the reign of terror began, right? That's when the press, the press just pushed this insane campaign and everyone was jumping aboard. And so at that point, I think once people were terrified, look, I mean, you know, I, I remember me and my wife at, at first, we were, even though we, even though, you know, I reported Russiagate, even though we've, we've seen everything, we know how badly these people lie and what lunatics they are. But even we, for the first few days, like, so what, we have to wash plastic bags now that come from the supermarket. And then we finally conclude like, no, this is bad. It's obviously COVID is a real thing. But they're trying to turn this into the bubonic plague and that it is not. And so also also then like, well, you can't live actually. You can't live if you worry about washing your bags every time you, your plastic bags every time you come back from the supermarket. So I, I think that was the I think that was the prerequisite. They had to terrorize people, not just terrify, but they had to terrorize people. Right. And this is what we've seen both in the United States and and I th I think more especially in Canada, how they you know how, how they they've brought uh, they've brought law authorities into it. They they've they've used they've used courts. Um, so that's I, I think that was a large part of it. 
that once people were pressured, that's when they that's when they said, well, I don't know how important is my liberty liberty compared to what they're telling me is is very likely a a, a, a gruesome death in a hospital and, and, and a ventilator. Well, so here's so here's I'll tell you a couple of interesting things, and this is a bit of a confession too, I think, on my side perhaps. But you know, of course, I've done a lot of coverage of you know sort of the realities around COVID and your but, your coverage. I should I should just say I'm sorry for I'm sorry for stepping in, but I just want to say I mean the different people that you've brought on and the different people that you introduced, both here in the United States and elsewhere around the world people who are presenting necessary, important, vital views, not just on freedom, but on on, on medical care, on COVID, on, on, on the public health establishment. And I mean, you, you, this is just, I mean, you, you, the, the, the work that you did, and of course, colleagues at Epoch Times, but especially you bringing all these people on. So just, well, congratulations, first of all, and second of all, thank you. And I think I'm speaking for probably millions of people, even if they don't know that it starts with Epoch Times, with the number of people that you guys, that you in particular, put in public view who provided this information. Just amazing. Well, so, but I have to tell you, you know, I was kind of blinded to the reality of COVID in a lot of ways early on. And I suspect there were a lot of people that were in my, in my boat. And the reason in my case, right, I was sort of shocked and stunned that nature uh, and, 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 you know, a number of magazines basically published these articles talking about COVID origins where they, you know, they were saying that the, there's no way the origin could have been a lab, lab oriented. It had to be natural. And this was just preposterous. I have a background, you know, in molecular biology and evolutionary biology, and I, I haven't been in it for 20 years, but I know enough to know that that yeah. was just totally, this, there's no this way it was true. Yeah. Right. Just I, no I, I was going to ask you to true. talk about your background. What do you what? There's no way that what was true, that it could well, not have come from a lab. Right. Well, no, but basically it's, it's one thing to say the preponderance of evidence suggests that um, that 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 it's natural. Right. And that certainly wasn't the case because we had done the research and the preponderance of evidence suggested that the lab labs were involved in some way. Right. Right. But 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 what these guys did was different. They didn't even just say the preponderance of evidence said. And these are these are like Nobel level. These are people yeah, yeah, who are right. you know, are running massive yeah. organizations globally. <laughs> right. Um, which is know, which uh, is they, the point, of course. Right. <laughs> Their ties to the public health establishment. Right. That's uh, unfortunately that appears to be one of the reasons right. why they were eager to tell these tales. Well, so I was obsessed with this because we had just we, in our April of 2020, we did a documentary talking about the origins. It was simply all the documentary said and was immediately labeled as the worst of fake news. And we were racist and all this kind of stuff hmm. because we said, well, you know, it, it's quite likely there's a there's a lab involvement here because, you know, there's yeah. there's there's this researcher that's the world expert on exactly these viruses <laughs> doing right. exactly the kind of research that would result yeah. in a virus like this in this lab, which has questionable yeah. containment. Anyway, there's a whole ton of, you know, circumstantial evidence of this nature that would and, and no evidence in the other direction, basically, uh, other than, you know, the, the Chinese Communist Party perspective, which, of course, is 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 always the politics, nothing to do with reality. It incidentally could be has something to do with reality, mm. but it's never focused on that. So anyway, right. I was I was flabbergasted by this. We were exploring it. But so I just kind of but but when we decided to lock down. Right. I didn't realize that there's people like, you know, Jeffrey Tucker, who I've since gotten to know, for example, when Jeffrey Tucker saw these oh. lockdowns, he had been this huge cheerleader for modernity, right, for years. Oh. And, and suddenly he looks at the situation, he says to himself, civilized civilization as we know it is over. <laughs> you know, and and I, you know, dire. And, and yeah. prescient, no, no, but 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 oh. the, the point was that, you know, we've we've worked all these years, all these centuries, decades to into to create the freest, you know, most prosperous society in the history of the world. And and now we're we've just thrown it all out somehow. Huh. Right. All of all the the the, the, right. the, the, the the presuppositions that allow for that to happen have just been tossed. And so that's what he saw. I didn't huh. see that. Right. And you, I mean, huh. he, he's brilliant that way. What I, I just yeah. saw, oh, I guess we have to, you know, two weeks to slow the spread. I'll do my part. You know, yeah. I, I didn't it didn't occur to me that there might be something similar going on with the, with that as was going on with the virus origins, for example, because I was so focused on the virus origins. 
right? I see. I see. That's right. Right. They would have been just going about their lives, doing their thing. And, and they just, you know, and just, yeah, well, do your part for society. That was kind of the message, right? And, yeah, and right. who doesn't want to do their part for society? Sure, Most we're all in do. this, thing, we're all in really this together. Special, yeah, right. yeah. It takes a very special person to just sort of look at it really from the outside, especially when they're saying right. the numbers could be so dire and everything. Right. And what I should have known is, hey, wait a second, all this stuff is coming from the CCP. <laughs> they're <Yeah>. always <laughs> lying. And this is really yeah, in their yeah, interest right. to lock us down, right? It, uh, right. So anyway, yeah. So it took me a little while. It took me realizing that Ron DeSantis uh, down in Florida was doing something really interesting that seemed to be working and against the grain. And me wanting to kind of study that and understand it was what sort of opened up my eyes to this whole reality. Well, then you guys did a great documentary about uh, Governor DeSantis. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I know. That was so so much fun to do. Yeah. Um, So... So let's talk about the Chinese Communist Party and its lies. Um, And and I mean, I want to come back to communism. I mean, is this, you know, I've asked people, I I, I mean, even last week, I I, I mean, we we had Michael Sanger and Jordan Schachtel on here. I remember asking Michael saying, well, look, how much of the Shanghai lockdowns are, you know, they really believe in the zero COVID thing or how much of this is performative, how much of it is theater. And he said, it's a communist party. So in a sense, even the real things are theater. Um, and mm-hmm. and I, I think that's kind of what you're saying in terms of, in terms of, look, it came from the CCP. Of course, it's a lie. Um, why? What is it about the nature of communist regimes? I mean, as, as you know, as someone who was born into people who fled a regime like this and and now who looks at this very carefully and who's seeing it in different places like Canada and the US. Why? Why are these regimes built on lies? Or what are the most important lies that they're built on? Well, that's a big question, Lee. Um, I, I know. Maybe I, know. Maybe we I can break it. We can break it down that. slowly. Yeah, you can take it slow. Maybe. How, how, about, how about this? I've got another way into it. Because you, you said something and I wanted to ask you before, when you said your mother and father now speak about how they're recognizing certain things that they saw in Poland. So what is it that they're seeing in Canada? What is it that they see in the United States that reminds them of Poland? What, what, what are the lies or what are the, what are the stories? What's the nature of such a regime that makes it so easy for them to recognize it? So that, that's a way into the lies, has that. The thing that is the most overt, okay, and this is the thing that I think for me changed my thinking about, frankly, what was happening in America and in America, actually, this was in 2015, right? And when I, I was watching, I'd been, you know, watching China and how the Chinese media operate for a very long time, right? And it's, they're all state media and there's controlled opposition, and they all operate a certain way. And there's a lot of very deliberate narrative control going on, right? And what I saw in 2015 um, happened, shocked me, and I still had to like, you know, talk to a bunch of people saying, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Um, Was that, that the media suddenly started doing something like that, like a kind of ubiquitous, I'm talking about the corporate media in the U.S., right? They all had kind of the same line in different ways and complemented each other. It was like, and I was like, what is this? Is this like, is there a central party organizing these people? Because I'd seen what this looks like, right? And it was, and, you know, conservatives will say, um, well, there's always, this has always been there, Jan. You know, you're just blind to it. And perhaps, and and that's true, but something changed in 2015. It really Mm -hmm. did. Um, like, because I, I didn't see that it didn't operate like that. And suddenly there was this sort of incredible party line and also this kind of vilification of people that don't follow that line mm. in a level that I had never seen before. And of course it existed in different, uh, maybe at a different can, level as well, but can, yeah. Can you, can you remember the particular stories that you, that you noticed this around? I mean, I, I know the story that I was following at the time where I thought, you know, I, I picked up on the exact same thing you're talking about, which was the Iran nuclear deal, the Obama administration's key foreign policy initiative. So for you, what was it? Were there particular stories or you just saw it everywhere with everything they were with everything they were writing or speaking about? Uh, I think for me, it was uh, it was 
when the moment when uh, the Trump candidacy for president became a reality, I think, because I like I, I remember seeing this. Mm. I remember watching like what was that guy's name? John Oliver, you know, kind of mm, like yes, sort of daring yeah. Trump to run and right. all, there's, funny, there's all this funny, kind of, funny man, John Oliver. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 just all this. I I used to watch John Oliver. You know, um, yeah. uh, the I, I was I was watching. You know, there's just there's just a lot of no one really thought he would. I didn't think he would. You know, and and it was just kind of, and then suddenly, right? So things shift around, move around. And suddenly, he's got the nomination, and he's going for it. And the system changes. I mean, melts down. Yeah. I don't know what you want to call it, but the attack, right. like the 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 anything, any level of attack is acceptable. Um, I, I don't remember exactly. I just right. remember this. It was just, it was unbelievable. It was like, yeah. it was like this machine kind of roared into operation um, that reminded me of other machines I'd seen, right? Huh. Um, an operation. And, and I was trying, I, it took me a while to figure out what was going on because, because, you know, I just, I just hadn't seen it. You know, people call it getting red pilled, right? And that was my, that was me getting red pilled. Hmm. Um, that that you know something really weird was happening, and I'm, I tend to like underdogs, uh, you know. Uh, and obviously, Trump was very much an underdog, so in that respect, I, I, yeah. I liked him. I liked some of his policy ideas. He had really good ideas around China, which is which was always my focus. Uh, and I and I you know, but at the same time, I had lots of questions because there were all sorts of people, including you know Bill Clinton, for example, uh, who had who who campaigned on being really tough on China. And then the moment they got in, they were the opposite of really tough on China. It was just kind of like right. the way that the American political establishment operated for for ages. Let me see if I can actually like quiet down these this unbelievable today. I think they're I think they're bugging they're I don't think you're gonna be able to quiet them down. I think they're bugging you, but we can hear you fine. And it adds it adds okay. a certain okay. amount of urgent it adds a certain amount of even yet more urgency to your utterance. So it's good. <laughs> it works fine. Yeah. But but so so just to go back to that this idea of, of of narrative control. There's so communist regimes, um they're obsessed with narrative control. They're obsessed with information mm. control. That's why the Great Firewall of China exists and was built, mm. by the way, with, with you know by by American companies, by the way. But that's a whole other right. story. Um, to if you can control the information that's getting to the populace, you know, even though some portion of the population knows it's false, a lot of people know there's a lot of things that are false, but they don't know what's false and what isn't. Mm. And, and you can actually exert an incredible amount of control, right? And, and in communist societies, truth is a very different thing than what we think mm. of traditionally as truth. We think of truth as something we seek to try to discover an actual truth. Truth in a communist societies is the will of the party. Whatever that wow. is, that's truth, right? And that's, the, and that's the reason why communist parties are so obsessed with narrative control, because from their perspective, they need to enact truth huh. onto their uh, societies, right? And so the moment that you see right. stuff like that happening in a society, and I, that's what I, that's what I think my parents are the most sort of sensitive huh. to, because it's the moment you start seeing that, you're like, okay, so this is now, now, fascinating. Now, not, yeah, that, that's. I mean, that's fascinating. So you're saying that the the the. Uh, the obsession with controlling the narrative that in itself is an indicator of um, of a regime that is at least trans if it isn't already but that it may be on its way to totalitarianism I, I, absolutely well because but why because why would you be yeah. why would why would you be so concerned with that right right otherwise like why why wouldn't you let people have their own thoughts you know <laughs> right um, right um, you said something about Bill Clinton a couple of moments ago, how he, yeah, he mm -hmm. campaigned, of course, in 92 on human rights in China. And then, of course, in 94, he abandoned that. And then in 2000, China's granted most permanent, most favored nation status and trade. In 2001, it, it joins the, the World Trade Organization. So this has been going on for a long time. And... Um, American policymakers had lots of opportunities, starting perhaps with Tiananmen Square in 1989, to say, 
you know, guys, let's reevaluate our ideas about China right now. You know, we have these dreams about being able to liberalize it, but frankly, it doesn't look good. Look at what they just did in Tiananmen Square here. Um, it looks to me like Shanghai, what's happening in Shanghai, and of course, other cities around uh, around China, it looks to me as though this is such an enormous event that people will not be able to ignore it, even though, of course, I'm, I don't think it's getting a, a fraction of the coverage that it merits in our, in our media. But it's, I mean, everything from not just locking down 25 million people in the world's third largest city, but I mean, their supply chains are entirely broken. That means Americans are going to be feeling it even worse before long. So is this, is there a way to look at this and say, well, it's really bad, but maybe the U.S. relationship with China is finally coming to an end. Now, finally, we they will have no choice but to decouple us from this monstrous regime, this inhuman uh, institution known as the Chinese Communist Party. I think again to use your 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 and my favorite word apparently fascinating. Mm. I find mm. it incredibly fascinating um, to to see this being enacted because you know the obviously the cost to the regime. First of all, you know even a cursory honest assessment of the science now has will leave you knowing very clearly that zero covid is not something right. you can pursue with success you know it's just it's, it's not going to work so either and this is one of the sort of problems with communist societies you know or or societies heading in that direction mm. right where you know sort of the media you, you the media says things and maybe you start believing what the media mm. that is your own propaganda as your leader is saying so maybe I, I i don't know how much that is happening there but but i you know i i this is the part i'm not clear on does xi jinping and you know the ruling class know really understand that zero COVID is a pipe dream and not right. real and they're doing this nonetheless for another purpose entirely or do they believe that or 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 the second option is are they stuck because their biggest success and they've been trumpeting this for ages and i'm sure there's an element of this right since is that we conquered COVID. look we only had five thousand right. deaths right <laughs> it's, right. it's preposterous but, yeah right right but that's, it's but insane that's official, right and that, that, yeah, that, right. that's the official line right and that, this is the great party was victorious and the great leader was right. victorious over COVID. Look, and all yeah. the rest of the world is totally screwed, but we won, and this is how we won, yeah. through lockdown. So now what can we do? Well, if we stop locking down, I guess that means that, we, that we, we're we not, maybe it'll create yeah. doubts in people's minds or something, right? So there's that element right. as well. Um, that So that may be I part mean, of this... that, that's certainly part of it. Um, right. Or is there some other agenda altogether, right? You know, there's this huge supply chain backup, which is like there's going to be a massive supply chain cost sort of breakage cost to these lockdowns i mean this is you know 300 million people locked down right um right uh for for the uf or other countries for the us for so forth so we're gonna feel that is that you know is that intentional you know i i don't know these are interesting questions right yeah i've heard a lot of interesting speculation on that i was speaking with a uh you know a, a finance guy last week his point was, he said, I think we've reached peak China. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, well, it's, it, this is a broken thing and it's always been a broken thing, right? It, it, uh, the way it projects externally, it looks very impressive, right? And, and it's a communist party, so they can manage, they can command labor. They don't have to worry about uh, how much they're going to pay people. But in fact, if you look inside, internal facing China is a different thing. And that's what we're seeing now. I mean, these horrific videos about not just people, you know, screaming outside their windows, but people. It's, it seems that they're taking their own, many people are taking their own lives, and the the, the beating to beating to death, you know, pets. Um, it, it just looks it just looks absolutely insane. So, uh, so this this gentleman, and I've heard other people say this too, are saying, no, I, I don't, I don't think they're I. I, I don't think it's intentional. I just think they're inco. He says he just thinks they're incoherent, and they've lost it, um, which seems plausible to me too. 
that it's not a large plan to uh, undermine the, or to make Americans feel more pain, though, of course, Americans will feel more pain, but that's wasn't really the intention. They don't mind that result, but it wasn't the intention. It's just, it's just what the Chinese communist party really is. Well, so one of the things that's very characteristic of communist parties, and this is very much along in line with our theme here, is just that communism doesn't value the individual person. It just right. does not value the individual. So it's kind of like, you can think of it like as biomass or something, yeah. right? That, yeah. that, that yeah. is there sort of incidentally. And so that, that when you see that people being, you know, people being treated that way, in an increasing way, that's another hint, I think, that uh, you're heading towards, uh, uh, you know, an authoritarian, totalitarian or, or, or communist system. Because, when you see people being treated yeah. as though they're just soulless bags of meat, is that what you mean? Biomass, as you put it? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah. so you know, basically, you know, this is one of the things that someone, again, like I'll, men I'll mention Jeffrey Tucker because he was really preaching. Yeah. I mean, you can see him writing right right away after these lockdowns happened about this. He's a really right? interesting writer. He gave yeah, up, he's very interesting. Yeah. We gave up our gave up our liberties. We're willing right. to give up our liberties. Maybe for two weeks, okay, right? Maybe if we're going to. Yeah. But it just kind of keeps going and no one seems to be worried about it. More importantly, the powers that be, I'll say that in quotes, are, are quite happy to keep doing that, right? Yeah. And but that that's that reflects a certain kind of mentality in our society that also maybe you know this certainly wasn't the <laughs> mentality of the founding fathers, right? Right. Um, so so and then of course in the apotheosis of that is in a society like communist China where you have a murder for organs industry, you know that's that's billions right. of dollars a year, right? So right. Well, this is one of the things that, you know, well, you and I have spoken about this often, the idea that this is what uh, the, the American ruling class has tied us to, this, this, this monstrous regime. And again, that's why looking at Shanghai, I don't think anyone can actually turn their face away from it at this point, right? It's not just that it's a, a, a vicious totalitarian regime, but I mean, they're also nuts. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, it's, it's my hope that out of this horrible catastrophe, that American policymakers will finally say, we don't have a choice. We can't partner with these nuts anymore. Uh, everything is clearly broken there. Um, I guess, but here, so here's my question, right? Uh, what are we willing to tolerate on the outside? I mean, we, I think right. everybody understands there's a genocide in Xinjiang, meaning there's you right. know, a whole ethnic group of people is being exterminated, you know, not, not as quickly as 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 the nazis were doing in the mm. you know in the 40s but but yeah. nonetheless the, the the program is there and it's done in all sorts of terrible ways um and you know i would argue there's at least three groups that are being you know exterminated or eradicated is the term they tend they tend to use mm. to translate it correctly in china you know uh, the, the the tibetans and the falun gong practitioners mm -hmm. as well because they're you know i kind of quote unquote undesirable so we know right. this, right? And so now right. we're looking and we say, okay, well, now we see that the whole population in, in these cities is being treated in this incredibly inhumane way, not as extreme as genocide, but, you know, obviously, right. you know, nothing to do with human liberty here. Um, and also, I might add, for, for no good reason, <laughs> that's, the, that's the terrible part, but I don't think a lot of people fully understand that part yet. Yeah. Right, that the lockdowns right. have massive collateral damage and almost no benefit. That's what all the studies yes. basically right. show. Like, i.e., there's there's just a wild disproportion between the cost and the benefit, if 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 there is any benefit at all. Right. Um. And this is and this just happens. So is is this the thing that suddenly American society or the American, you know, elite says, okay, wow, this is now we've really passed the Rubicon here. But right. yeah, I feel like there's just so many ways in which we've passed the Rubicon. Why would this one be any different? No, I do too. And I mean, it, it started, as I said, with Tinnaman. I think that, that was the point in 1989. People should have said, wait a minute. We'd all like to bring China in from the cold. And now that we see the Soviet Union uh, failing, we can understand why we're uh, why it's a triumphalist moment for Western democracies. But let's slow down here. 
before we try to integrate these guys into the world system. This seems to be a very, very, very unhealthy regime. Um, I want to ask you this, this is dealing with, you know, dealing with China, but look, the, you may be the person who knows best, like how would we refer to it as the American opposition, right? Whether we're talking about journalists that you've interviewed on American thought leaders, whether it's politicians like Governor DeSantis, former Secretary of State Pompeo, just uh, tons and tons of people, right? So you have as clear a sense as anyone as what the people, uh, uh, medical professionals, um, investigators, you know, you and you and Cash Patel do your great Epoch Times show, Cash's Corner. Um, so you have a, an insight, a, a rare insight into what uh, we can only really call now the American opposition, what it looks like. Are you um, are you optimistic? We're, because, because here we are, we're talking about we're talking about uh, an encroaching totalitarian uh, or growing totalitarian shadow hovering over the United States. And you've seen people up close who are fighting this. Are you optimistic? Well, what's your sense of it? <laughs> you know, I, I, I say I have good days and I have bad days. Um, huh. <laughs> All right. I, well, for starters, I can tell you that I'm I am an eternal optimist. So I want to let everyone yeah. understand my biases, right? Because you know I've been working on the China issue for over twenty years. So if you're not an optimist, you wouldn't be doing that anymore. Okay, like basically huh. based on what we've seen. So so I I am very optimistic, but I tend to be optimistic, um, just simply because there's. I, you know, actually, COVID is really what made me particularly optimistic. I know this sounds bizarre, right? No, because it's, on one it hand, sounds really seeing, interesting. Yeah, how? We're, we're seeing <laughs> society kind of, you know, sort of really digress into old patterns that we thought we had, we had, we had, you know, grown out of. Um, but no, I just, just, I, I, the thing that I saw over COVID, and here's one example. Okay, so schools went offline, right? Schools went in right. virtual. For a long time, again, for literally no good reason, right? And and, yeah. and we've known that for a very, you know, for basically almost the entirety mm. of the pandemic. It's crazy, right? It's mm -hmm. it's crazy. Like we, we could have just, you know, sort of done the thinking that the Swedes did, and 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 the very right. few other countries. But no, actually, schools, a lot of countries didn't 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 lock down because of because the data was so clear that kids weren't really affected that heavily right. by this virus, but. Anyway, um, the silver lining around this is that all sorts of parents started listening to what their kids were mm -hmm. being taught in school, okay? Mm -hmm. And so, <laughs> I mean, I've heard this story countless times. I won't say hundreds, yeah. but like, you know, more than a hundred, okay, times right. where people are saying, yeah, and I was listening and I was like, what? What are they teaching them? No, yeah. <laughs> this is not yeah. what I signed right. up for. This is not your job, right. teacher. I'm the parent here. So yeah. there's this whole move because of COVID, among other things. I mean, there's all sorts of people that are, you know, sort of um, taking back their own health care, for lack of a better term, or understand right. that they have to be responsible for their own health care decisions. Yeah. That's one thing. Another thing is people looking at education and just kind of being activated yeah. and saying, whoa, man, like, I don't know. What, I don't know what happened. Yeah. I had no idea this was going on. But now there's just right. all these activated people, right? Like yeah. most, most people aren't, you know, activists. They don't want to be, you know, uh, right. People, people are busy, or, right. People yes, are busy. Yes. They have their work, they have their families, you know, the, the, and, and, you know, right. So they, they, they don't have time to be activists. Oh, right. But if they're, if they're yes. put up against it and they love their families and they love their communities, they realize they have to step up and do something about it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's all sorts of examples of this, but so so I, I what the thing that I find incredibly inspiring is that there's all sorts of people who weren't particularly civically active, okay, that mm. have over the last few years become incredibly civically active, um, and in fact, because in and in fact, that's the only way that 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 you can kind of change things for the better is to have a lot of people that are active to try to make it that way. Um, and, and I might add that the optimism element is like, I, I kind of like, I have my bad days, right. But like, you just uh, have to tell those bad, you have to look at yourself in those bad days and say, you know, 
I just can't do this very often because of because right. basically if if you if you that's how you feel then then you know the things that you cherish and you love and are beautiful right. they might fade away and so you got to you know you either got to you got to for me it's truth seeking right like that's that's yeah. that's what I love I, I happen to fall into doing probably the favorite job I could ever have in my life or just uh -huh. you know get to ask you know interesting people questions about things i'm interested in i mean you yeah. get paid for it that's that's pretty wonderful yeah and maybe even make great. the world a better place along the way wow that, that's yeah. perfect right? Like yeah, right. you have right no but, you're right but, absolutely so, so, so I, I i i love that and i and i cherish oh. it and and so that and that's the that's the best way that i know how to contribute i don't oh. know if it's going to work right i don't know if it's going to work but I, I love giving helping and this is what people tell me i love helping give people the tools so that they can think oh. about the world, you know, a little more with a little more of an open mind, you know, find some new resources, get motivated. And, and, and that's, you know, that, that's, oh. that's how things change in a positive way. If we, if we feel, if we feel, if it looks really bad every day and you kind of give up, then, then it, it is, it is oh. the end, isn't it? It's, it struck me recently that, that we've lived uh, as Americans, as North Americans, even as Western Europeans, I guess, have lived a remarkable age of, of for the most part, peace and prosperity since, you know, since the Second World War. And we've been so blessed and so lucky. And, um, and it's, it's harder now, it's getting harder, but this is what it's like for most people at most times throughout history. And, I feel if it's our if it's our place, our generation, our families now, who have to who have to fight this fight to sustain the things right, the things that we love, right? Whether it's whether it's uh, whether it's books, whether it's art, whether it's the outdoors, whether it's good dinners, whether it's family, you know, freedoms, and so. Um, yeah, why not? So we're we're actually, I think, blessed to have to fight like this. Who are the people? Who are the people you've spoken with that that inspired you or gave you different ideas that you hadn't, yeah, you know, that you hadn't thought about before? For uh, you know, for American thought leaders, I you know, I, I I don't want you to you know pick on anyone, but say you know the things that that you've really enjoyed. Like who are the people? Yeah, who are the people who you found inspiring? and um that their ideas were things you hadn't thought about before well the the immediate one that comes to my mind is uh yanmi park um mm. so she's the north korean dissident um, uh -huh. and she uh you know basically it, it, it's worth i'm I'll, I'll plug her book here mm. because it's really worth reading her book it's an unbelievable piece of work it's very difficult to get out of north korea and in her case, she got out by being trafficked, human trafficked to China huh. first. And anyway, all sorts of crazy things happen uh, along the way. And she, you know, comes out the other end, you know, a very thoughtful person. <laughs> right. Um, despite all sorts of horrors that, that, that she encountered or, or, or partially because of that, right? Like this is these things, these right. things shape you as well. Um, and so one of the things that she notes, right, is there's this guy who's basically her, you know, uh, call it a, her pimp, right, basically. Mm, yeah. And, you know, the, by the way, the reason that she you know, was able to kind of live a semi-decent life is she threatens to mm. kill herself with this guy unless he treats her a certain way and has uh. this kind of weakness for her. So she, and he knows, she, basically she's like, she, and she said, I was ready to do it. And he knew it, right? Wow. So she just had that kind of personality. But anyway, uh. it turns out the guy in, a, in the end, um, you know, rescues her parents from North Korea, huh. right? And wow. so she has this weird relationship with this guy. He's raped her, you know, he wanted to traffic uh. her. Um, he rescued her parents, so she hates him, but she also uh -huh. appreciates he did something which of course he never had to do she could have just you know kind of killed her and thrown her in a dark hole right, right. which is what happens to a lot of these these ladies that you know uh -huh. so it anyway so her thought she 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 got through life through the the reason i mention this situation is right she has the compassion and the thoughtfulness to be able to look at 
a really horrible human being like oh. this, you know, this Chinese trafficker and, and also, but also see an element of goodness and see that the relationship has complicated, right? Despite everything that wow. has happened, yeah. um, and 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 so that type of thing to me, frankly, gives me a lot of hope for humanity. Because huh. the thing that I find most troubling is this sort of black and white. You know, you're the enemy. This is this is exactly kind of the whole kind of woke ideology. The way it works. If you don't right. fully agree with my way of looking at the world, you're a Nazi or you're Hitler or something right. like that. It's a very extreme si way of thinking. Silence is violence, yes, whatever right. slogans but, they, they're but, right. Right. And and you can't if you think if, if we're conditioned to think like that, we will kill e we will kill each other. There will be mass strife. Right. There will be um you know basically basically war and all the time is this we, we, if we can if we can find the goodness in each other even though we right. know that that we've done terrible things. Um, is this what communist regimes do? Is this what totalitarian regimes do, or doesn't that create instability? Like, are is this what is this language meant to do uh, here in the United States? Is it mm -hmm. meant to drive us to conflict with each other? Is it meant to police people and terror terrorize them so that if they start to say anything out of line, they know that they'll be destroyed by the mob? Or, or, or yeah, or yeah. I mean, is it driving us to conflict? But the scariest thing about, for lack of a better term, woke ideology um, mm -hmm. that I I realized having you know studied it for however many years now, is that ultimately by the people who are true ideologues, right? Ultimately, its purpose is to destroy the foundations of Western civilization, and that includes you know, wow. everything that came from the Enlightenment, everything. Right. So that's why, like, people wonder. People would say, "Well, it won't go into the STEM." into the STEM, uh, you know, disciplines right. in university. No, it goes into the STEM disciplines. It goes into everything because it's, 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 you know, it seeks to quote unquote decolonize everything. So in other words, mo remove the Western element of everything, which is most of it in a lot of cases, because a lot of the most, you know, I just had Douglas Murray on the show that'll go on next hmm. Tuesday. You know, we talked about that, like some of the, you know, a lot of the, things that, that define a lot of how the world works today that are great are Western things, right? <laughs> Wokeism seeks to, to remove that from everything. Um, now, of course, there's a lot of other people that are kind of, you know, along for the ride and, you know, believe that, the, that it is really, that they're really helping in the cause of justice and social right. justice and so forth. And I realize that, but this is also how communist, <coughs> you know, Wokeism has this element of, of communist ideology. It's kind of a fusion of postmodernism and communism, but where, where you know, there's always these what what Lenin called the useful idiots, right? The people that that, that can be used to achieve revolution, uh, because they're they're really they, they they have the good intention and they want to change society for the better. But then you know what happens is once revolution is achieved, those people are the ones that go up against the wall first, right? Um, because then yes, they're the ones right. that are saying, "Hey, you're being authoritarian. Hey, you're this isn't the way I envisioned right. this." And it's like, "Sorry, yeah, that's right. Now, right, right, yeah. right. You're right. You're not being true to the party's true ideology, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, that's your problem for, for so misunderstanding I think, I, I, what the. Uh, I, I do think that mo a lot of the people involved in this, in this, you know, the modern social, so what they call social justice. I don't think there's any justice about it, but. Um, uh, are, are well-meaning actually. And it's just, it's just a, a much smaller percentage that really understand what they're doing and seek to, you know, right. again, sort of shake the foundations and, and destroy everything so that they can, of course, the, the goal is to rebuild this new utopian world on the ashes of the right. old one. Except the thing is they don't, from where, anything I can tell, and I've really looked hard, they, they don't have a vision for that. So it's even kind of worse than other systems in that respect. They don't have a plan. For, for when they when they you know destroy the, the existing system, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna close in one second, but before I, I let you go, well, first of all, thank you, Jan. This is this has really been a great conversation. But I, I you know we started we started talking about Poland and then we you know moved into China and communism and and Poland is of course one of the one of the great strongholds of Western civilization, and were difference and we're, you're talking right now about how wokeism tries to destroy um, the foundations of Western civilization. How sturdy, how sturdy is Western civilization, right? I mean, I mean, Poland, 
Poland was under communism for decades. And now it appears that Poland is again one of the, you know, one one of the one of the beacons of democracy and 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 also uh, national sovereignty and love and patriotism, Polish patriotism. So if the United States is going through a difficult trying period right now, how sturdy are how sturdy are these foundations? We say, well look, we're we're a constitutional republic and we're taking a beating right now in many ways, but we'll be okay. Or are these or are these foundations really vulnerable? What does Poland what does the experience of Poland tell us, for instance? Wow, that's another another big question. But um, <laughs> um, I, I, you know, again, I'm I'm very optimistic, right? I'm a very optimistic mm-hmm. person. And I, you know, I've been over the last three years of American thought leaders. I've had the privilege of learning from some of I really think the greatest minds on this type yeah. of on this type of question that you just asked me, and that one of the things I learned, for example, were how incredibly beautiful the idea of, of 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 the united states was and how you know how this idea of separation of powers and this idea yeah. of you know basically minimizing the power because you, the assumption being that people will try to take power and control absolutely and thereby create all sorts of hell hellish realities right how yeah. can we do it to make the system inefficient so that it's hard right. to allow that concentration of power to actually yeah. happen. So I think, you know, the U.S. Right. is, you know, the U.S. I don't know how many people realize this fully, right? Because I certainly didn't really understand this. But you know, most of the liberal democracy that we see out there is modeled after the U.S. actually, right? Yeah. And right. even though it's, you know, it's different and it, 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 it's, it's maybe not the constitutional republic, they function differently. But the the, the point is that that it is a very resilient system, but right. you know it's being tested in a, in a way now. I think that it isn't being tested; that it's never been tested because most of the major institutions uh, have been kind of you know sort of uh, permeated by this ideology, which is sort of you know un, of unreality of you know again right. this this belief that narrative defines reality is is is, is part of that, of course, and. Um, do you think the CCP I think, I think has the system is resilient? Role. I think yeah. this. I just to answer your question. I think the system yeah. is resilient. The, the big the thing that my big fear to exactly your point just now that you were adding onto yeah. is the question is can a weakened America a, an America yeah. so weakened internally not understanding its greatness and the value that it you know yeah. provides not just to itself but the entire world. Can it survive, you know, the onslaught of a right. brutal communist dictatorship in the form of the Chinese Communist Party, which seeks to right. usurp it and, you know, and become the kind of, you know, global hegemon? Right. Uh, I, that's a, that's an interesting question. And I don't know the answer. That, that's where I see that's the big fear to me. I think yeah. if it wasn't for that, I think it probably would make it and, and would flourish again. Right. But I'm worried about that. <laughs> it, it's fascinating when you said. <clears throat> Excuse me. When you said that, uh, you know, lots of the liberal democracies are in various ways patterned after the United States, and sometimes I think, well, you know, had had our had had the founding fathers not existed, had they not founded the United States of America, what would have been the model? I mean, presumably, maybe other people would have tried it, but that's not a certainty. And yes, if the Chinese Communist Party becomes the de facto model of governance. And it certainly seems looking at places like Canada, looking at places uh, tragically like Australia, New Zealand, it seems like that's and different states here in the United States. It seems like that's what a lot of people seem to prefer right now. Yeah, they don't understand what they're preferring. Like they, 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 right. they, there's this idea, you know, I think my, my prime minister, Justin Trudeau, has talked about how he admires mm. the the the, the, the right. basic dictatorship of the CCP. I think that's what you're referring to, right? I think there is. Yeah, yeah he's, he's one of the few who's spoken about right. it openly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, so I do think there's that admiration, but I don't think, I mean, of course it's not, I don't think 
where these places are at, you can really compare them to what the C. I mean, you, what right. you're seeing in China right now is the CCP enacting, right? Yeah. This is the, that's the future if you want to go that way, right? Like this is that, right. perhaps this is one of the, the greatest sort of gifts of that, what we're seeing right now over there is to be like, hey, wait a second, maybe we don't want right. that. Right? Exactly. Is... If you, right, that's, that's where this will go. It's not just, yeah. it's not just that this is, this is the logical conclusion of, of, of COVID zero or zero COVID, but this is, this is the true face of the CCP, right? It's, it's, it's not a bunch of slick businessmen um, it's this, it's a bunch of people in white suits beating pets to death in the middle of the street, uh, in the middle of the street of, of one of the world's most populous cities. That's what it looks like. Um, well, Jan, I, I can't thank you enough for, uh, for, for speaking with me today and for speaking, uh, for speaking with our great audience here. And this was so, so interesting. That's so great. I want to thank you for your time and insights. And again, thank you for all you've done um, for not just for me, certainly, but for lots of other people at American Thought Leaders and especially for your awesome viewing audience. I mean, the different stuff that, that you've put in front of people for people to learn from, for people to absorb this information and these insights. So thank you for everything, including thank you for being a, for being a friend. No, and I, you know, I can't even believe we were talking for an hour. Is this what is this what happens in the wee hours of the morning? Did we actually talk for this long periods of time? I didn't, I didn't really even realize that. But sometimes you know, it's, it's an yes. honor and a pleasure. Um, like likewise, I said, you know, Lee, you've been you've been a great mentor in, in many ways. Oh, I greatly appreciate nice. that. That's nice. Yeah. And that's and um, nice. and thank you. And I hope you know. I hope I hope we can do something like this again sometime in the near future. I'll look forward to it. And again, thank you, everyone who's been listening in today. And um, I'll be back next Saturday, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, have a great rest of your weekend. God bless. Remember, we're, we're, we're fighting. That's what Jan and I are talking about. We're all still fighting. And uh, we're doing great. Um, all right, Jan, I'll talk to you later. Thanks again. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.